love is in the air. It's Thursday, guys. Are you ready? Valentine's Day. You got to get something nice for your wife. I remember Valentine's Day growing up. At school, we'd pass out those little Valentine's cards, right? And the guys would always get the ones at the store of their favorite cartoon. It was Ninja Turtles for us, you know? So we give Ninja Turtles everybody. Somebody said amen. That was a good place for an amen. And then the, the girls would get their nice little fancy frilly ones, and they'd pass them out to everybody, and we're like, eh, all right, whatever. But the best Valentines came attached with candy. You know what I'm talking about? And the good candy. I mean, the one that had so much sugar in it that as soon as you put it in your mouth, you jumped three feet in the air and spun around and did a mile. You know what I'm talking about? That's the good candy. One of my favorite candies on Valentine's Day is just cram full of sugar. I don't know how in the world they condense these things the way that they do, but they're really good. You guys know sweethearts? Not sweet tarts, but sweethearts. And you know, when you got into high school, you, you kind of be funny with them, right? You get packages of sweethearts, you'd eat a bunch of them, then you'd find one to throw to your buddy across the room in class when the teacher wasn't looking. But then you also found that these could be used in really neat ways, that you could uh, give them to girls that you liked. It was fun. These little sweethearts are just condensed sugar in various pastel colors. You got the, you know, the yellow, the purple, the green, the pink. And then printed in ink on the front of these hearts are some cheesy little word or phrase, right? I love you. Kiss me. I'm giving some of those to Steph on Thursday. Um, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. But here's... The thing that I think is interesting about Valentine's Day, we're trying to express to our crushes that we really want to impress or to our husbands or to our wives that we're supposed to love and cherish for all of our lives just how much they mean to us many times in the cheapest way possible, right? I mean, I need to get my wife some chocolates, but which ones are on sale, right? Or, we need to get some flowers, but man, those real ones by the dozen, that is outrageous. So we tell these significant others we love them by these little gifts. Sometimes they're a lot of fun. Sometimes they're meaningful, even though they may be cheap and inexpensive. But we use those gifts on Valentine's Day to communicate to others that we love them. And maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a husband or a wife. Maybe even for your kids, you're going to send a bunch of stuff to school on Thursday. That's why Derek Bramlett loves being the principal up there so much, just to collect all that stuff. We communicate to each other through gifts that we love people. But today I want to talk to you very specifically about how to love someone significant and important. How to love your spouse. And no, I'm not going to tell you what kind of Valentine's to buy on Thursday, all right? But that might be a very real part of it. I want to ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 
as we talk about how to love your spouse. And while you're turning there, you may be going, Jake, man, I can check out. I shouldn't have come to church this morning. I'm not married. There is no information here that could possibly pertain to me. Well, you just might find something you didn't think you were going to find, right? So I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. Whether you are married now or not, there's something here for you to learn. God's Word is able to speak to our hearts at every verse, at whatever phase of life we find ourselves. So listen as we read together. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives." That's something you probably won't find printed on a sweetheart. Be submissive, right? So here we go. Verse 2. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And that's probably something else you won't find printed on a sweetheart, weaker. Don't give that to your wife on Thursday, all right? But nonetheless, these words are in the text this morning. And uh, I want to talk to you about how to love your spouse, how wives are to love their husbands, how husbands are to love their wives. Now, a few of these specific instructions might seem backward or antiquated, especially in the day and time in which we live, right? It sounds like Peter is some male chauvinist pig that devalues women and doesn't think anything good about them, but that is not the case at all. In fact, God made men and women in His own image and after His likeness, equal value and worth in the sight of the Lord. Peter is not demeaning or diminishing the woman's value or worth before God in any way, shape, or form. And we'll talk about that a little more as we go throughout these verses. But here's the big thing I want you to get out of what Peter is saying. Here's what he's communicating. Is, is this, a wife loves her husband by yielding to him, and a husband loves his wife by honoring her. A wife loves her husband by yielding to him, and a husband loves his wife by honoring her. Now in 1 Peter chapter 3, he's writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. We don't know what that persecution is like in many ways in our day and time. After all, when's the last time you went to jail for praying to Jesus? Or when's the last time you were ostracized or beaten up for bringing your Bible to church with you? 
That just doesn't happen. And we're thankful for that. But in this day and time, it did happen. It happened more often than we would like to think about. And Jesus had been talking to these believers, Peter had been talking to these believers about living life in Jesus Christ by faith in Him through these first two chapters and continuing to persevere and to endure in their faith. When He comes to give instructions to wives and husbands in chapter 3 of His little letter, He's most likely talking to believers within the church who had spouses that were not believers. This would have been a challenge. And maybe that is the case with, with you and your husband or your wife. Maybe you are a believer in Christ and he or she is not. But maybe you both are. There was also that possibility in the audience to whom Peter was writing that both the husband and wife were believers but more so than anything else, Peter wanted these husbands and wives to come to experience God's love through Christ Jesus. You see, it's only when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and we understand the great love that He has for us that we're able to love our spouses in the way that we ought to. It's only when a wife understands that Christ died for her sins and rose again and that she needs to follow God's direction for her life, that she is willing to submit and to yield herself to her husband. It's only when a husband trusts Jesus to save him from his sins and claims him as the king, the master of his life, that he is willing to cherish his wife by honoring and respecting her. Peter wanted these individuals to come to know God's love first and foremost so that then they could express their love for one another within the marriage relationship. The wives to whom Peter wrote in the first six verses of chapter 3 had a challenge, did they not? They had to put up with the guys in their life. It was hard enough if they weren't believers. or It was hard enough if they were believers. You could imagine if they weren't. Peter nonetheless tells them to be submissive to their own husbands, regardless of their husband's relationship with the Lord. That's tough, isn't it? This word submission means to yield to, to voluntarily place yourself under one's authority. In fact, as we read throughout the New Testament, we find that the man, the husband, the father, is the one who has the spiritual responsibility and the God-ordained authority to lead his home and to love those in his home. That's not backwards, antiquated thinking. That's just how God has ordered homes. In fact, this goes all the way back to Genesis when God created Adam and Eve. And he gave Adam the spiritual responsibility as the man, the husband, the father, to lead his home and the people in his home. It didn't mean that Eve was any less important or less valuable. It's just that her role, her function within the home was different. And when Peter writes to these ladies in the church and tells them to be submissive to their own husbands, he wanted them to be submissive, to yield to their husbands, so that their husbands could see 
God's love demonstrated in their attitude and actions. Think about that for a moment. If a wife respects and submits and yields herself to her husband, she is communicating God's love in her attitude and actions. That means adversely, if she is not respecting and yielding to her husband, she is not showing God's love towards him. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? And Peter gives the reason. He says, so if any of them are disobedient to the word, that is, if any of them don't listen to what God says, if any of them are unbelievers, if they see the way that you treat them with respect and yield to them and submit to them, then they will be one without a word. You won't have to nag them. You won't have to remind them. You won't have to complain. You won't have to talk about them to everybody else. If you'll do what God has instructed you to do in loving your husbands, then you'll be one without, they will be one without a word by the behavior of their wives because they'll observe the life that you live. You've probably heard the phrase from St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's often overused and misused, but here it's very appropriate. This is what Peter's talking about. Ladies, live your life in such a way that your husband knows you love him and he sees God's love demonstrated through your attitude and actions. And then Peter goes on to talk about this a little bit more. He said, look, life is not all about how pretty you can make yourself. He says, adornment must not merely be external. The braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. In other words, these ways were to express on the outside the insecurity ladies had on the inside. Just stop and think about this for a moment in our day and time. Ladies are constantly not covering themselves up with enough clothing, right? Why? People say, well, you... Your, your body's shaming them. You, you, don't, you, don't love, you, don't, you don't treat them with respect. You're not honoring them as God's creation. No, they're not honoring themselves as God's creation. If a woman knows how beautiful she is, then why does she have to put on 10 pounds of makeup to make herself look more beautiful? Reality is she does not. You need to hear that and you need to understand it because nobody else is going to tell you that. You know what? Ladies, you need to come to understand more than anything else in the world. God made you, and he thinks you're beautiful. He loves you. And so Peter says, don't spend all of your life and your time and your energy and your money trying to make yourself look beautiful on the outside. Reality is also this. One day, 10 pounds of makeup ain't going to do any good. Here's what he says. Let your beauty be in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. That Greek word precious means valuable, priceless, and treasured. In other words, don't let it be about the show you put on the outside. Let it be about the reality that exists on the inside. Hanging in our bathroom are a couple of canvases that Stephanie's painted uh, on It's the, the words of Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 30. There it says, blessed is the woman who fears the Lord. The actual word of this, uh, uh, these verse says this, charm is deceptive 
and beauty is fleeting, but blessed is the woman who fears the Lord. That is, you can make yourself look good on the outside, but on the inside, man, you can be really, really ugly. In fact, Jesus talked to the Pharisees about this very matter. He called them whitewashed tombs. They looked real pretty on the outside, rocks that were painted white, glowing and glistening and reflecting the sun's light, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. He says, wives, work on your character, work on your attitude, work on your mindset, work on your heart. Have a gentle and quiet spirit. This word quiet can also be peaceful. That is not in turmoil, not in chaos, not causing problems, but resting. And here's the key that Peter gives. Because reality is, it's difficult for anyone to place themselves in submission to someone else. I don't know about that. It is. You've got grown men who are making millions of dollars a year who have to submit themselves to a coach on a ball field or a ball court. It's tough for them to do that. It is. You've got people right now who can't submit to the authority of appointed and elected officials and leaders in our nation. Nobody wants to submit to authority. We might as well admit that. But Peter says, in this way, in the former times, the holy women also who hoped in God. Keep that phrase in mind, who hoped in God. They used to adorn themselves with beauty on the inside, being submissive to their own husbands. Peter's telling these ladies, look, whether or not your, her, your husband deserves it, whether or not he deserves your respect, submit to his authority because then you are obeying God's will. Sarah was married to Abraham. Man, that dude was a knucklehead. You ever read his story in Genesis? There were two times, two times that Abraham was coming into Egypt with his wife Sarah and he knew that she was beautiful and gorgeous inside and out. And so he lied to the king and said, hey, you know what? This isn't my wife. This is, this is really my sister. Because he didn't want them to kill him and take his wife. Apparently that's how beautiful Sarah was. And he just left Sarah hanging out there to dry. Pharaoh and whoever else wanted to could just have relations with her. Twice he did that. What did Sarah do? She called him Lord, and here's why. Because her ultimate hope was not in her husband, it was in God. Let me tell you something very real, very true. A wife loves her husband by yielding to him, but no matter how much you yield to your husband and you submit to him, he is never the one who is give, going to give you ultimate meaning and purpose in your life. Do you know that? I mean, think about what Bryson pulled out of the, the sack here earlier when he was talking to the kids. He didn't pull out a red paper heart. He didn't pull out sweethearts. He didn't pull out roses. He didn't pull out chocolates. He pulled out a cross. Ladies, wives, when you hope in God, when He is the hope of your life, then you're able to love your husband as you ought to. It's not just expecting your man to look like Tom Cruise and saying, you complete me. It's not going to work. You're going to find it empty. You're going to find it unfruitful if you try to find your fulfillment in him. But when you find your fulfillment in God, 
and in his son Jesus Christ, then you have a love that is able to outweigh all of the time your husband doesn't love you. And you're able to yield to him, to submit to him and to honor him, even if he doesn't deserve it. Because that's what God wants you to do. That's what God wants you to do. And in fact, Peter says, you've become Sarah's children. In other words, you have her spiritual DNA. You adorned yourself with beauty on the inside, just like she has, if you do what is right. And then he says, without being frightened by fear. And this is kind of where the story starts to take a turn from the wives to the husbands. Because Peter doesn't want these wives just to respect and honor and submit and yield to their husbands based out of fear of, oh no, he's never going to love me or he's going to hate me or he's going to do wrong to me or he's going to throw me out or even he's going to be violent towards me. He says, no, submit, yield yourself to your husband without being frightened by any fear, which would have caught the ears of every man who read this passage. Because reality is this, even though Peter gave the first six verses as instruction to wives. Guys, we've got a whole lot cram-packed into verse 7. It's tough. It's hard to hear. But it's good to hear. He says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. An understanding way. That is, you ought to know your wife, inside and out. You ought to know what she thinks, why she thinks it. You need to know what she feels and, and why she feels what she feels. Peter says, live with her in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Now, man, I know that girls get all bristled up when they hear this in this day and time. And even some guys go, I don't like the sound of that. But this word weaker, this adjective, l- let me help you kind of wrap your mind around this a little bit more. I ask you a question. Which is weaker, silk or denim? Silk. I ask you a question. Which is weaker, pure gold or iron? Gold. Yet which of those things has more price? Which of those things is lifted up more? Gold. Silk. When Peter says that we need to live with the woman in an understanding way as someone weaker, he's not saying that she's less. He's not saying that she's worse. Adrian Rogers used to say this, a woman is infinitely superior at being a woman than a man is. And a man is infinitely superior at being a man than a man is. We have different roles and functions in society and in the home, in the human race. Husbands, you need to understand that your wife's tenderheartedness is not a sign that she is less than you. You live with her in an understanding way. It's kind of like this. Husbands, you know, they, they, they've got a one-track mind. They hear something, and that's what they've heard. But the wife hears something, and she hears everything else too. A good example is this. Guys are sitting down at a table talking. One guy's talking. The other three are listening to what he says. They're, they're taking turns talking to each other. Ladies get about 25 people. They go out to eat together and they sit at this big, long, huge table and everybody's talking at the same time. And here's what happens then. They're having multiple conversations with other people at the same time. One of them will be looking over here and talking to somebody and she'll turn around and say, no, that's not right. He said so and so. And then she'll go right back to having the conversation she was having before. 
How is that possible? Because men and women are, are different. Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Look, guys, some of the difficulty in your marriage is, doesn't come from your wife wearing the pants. It comes from you wearing a dress. That hurt a little bit? Listen, you've got to be a man who understands his wife, who actually takes the time and the effort to care about who she is and what she has to say. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. And the only way you can begin to understand her is if you'll actually take the time to listen to her and to love her and to get to know her. He says this, don't just live with her in an understanding way, but show her honor. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. When Peter was talking to the wives back in verse 1, he, says, he said to the wives, live in respect and submission to your husbands so that they'll be won over without a word. Here he tells the husbands, love your wives and give her honor as an heir of grace so that your prayers won't be hindered. Did you know, husbands, when you don't love your wives as God wants you to love them, that your relationship with God is not what it can be and not what it should be and not what it ought to be? I mean, reality is this. If you don't treat your wife with honor, then you are dishonoring the Lord. When you don't treat your wife with honor, she doesn't see the love that God has for her. If you love your wife by honoring her and lifting her up and exalting her and praising her and telling her how much you love her and how wonderful she is, then she understands and she feels God's love demonstrated through your words, through your actions. And he tells these men to honor their wives whether or not they deserve it. He tells them to honor their wives as fellow heirs of the grace of life. We are heirs to God's kingdom through his son, Christ Jesus. And the same Jesus that died for you, husband, died for your wife. And if God's son gave his life for your wife and honors her that much and loves her that much, how could you say, nah, not today? Husbands, love your wives by honoring her, lifting her up as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She is not of any less value or worth in the eyes of God. In fact, Jesus gave his life to show how precious and valuable is each and every human being to him. This is a challenge, I have no doubt, but it's a good challenge. Because it's within the marriage relationship, within the love that a husband and a wife share, that we see God's love manifested in a way that we don't in any other human relationship. You're born to your parents. You don't have a choice who your parents are going to be, what your last name is, or the family that you live with. But when it comes to marriage, you enter into a covenant by choice with that man or that woman. God has chosen to enter into a covenant with us. He chose to send His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have new life in His name. 
So maybe you're here this morning, and you're not married yet because you're way too young to get married. I've got a seven-year-old daughter. She is way too young to get married. She's going to be way too young for a long time. But in this passage, there are some things that she and others her age can learn. In fact, Mally's in the second grade right now, my daughter. Do you know that it was in the second grade that there was a young lady named Stephanie that I had never met or seen before that was praying for me? Not praying for Jake, but praying for a future husband. Here's something that's kind of neat about this relationship. She was in the second grade. I was in the first grade. Uh, I married an older woman. You know. so, uh, so while we, you know, she, she is, we're in completely different states. We'd never met each other, seen each other, didn't know each other until years later. But while she started praying for me in the second grade, I became a Christian in the first grade. There may be some little children out there that need to learn how to love their husbands and their wives simply by praying for them in the future. Parents, grandparents, you may need to teach your children how to do this and actually spend time praying with them for their future spouse. You know, as as I got a little bit older, um, girls stopped having cooties and they started looking really pretty. You know what I'm talking about? Entering into those teenage years and man, I found girls that were just, oh, they were beautiful, they were gorgeous. But here's what I had to come to terms with as a Christ follower, as a teenager. I wasn't going to get married while I was in junior high or high school. I had to keep myself pure and holy. This, this was the way to love my spouse in the future. I wasn't supposed to replace the love that one day God would give to me and a wife who loved him and would love me. I was supposed to cheapen that gift that, were, that one day I would get to open by opening up the wrong gift too early. Save yourself. Keep yourself pure. This is how you love your spouse even on into the future. And then it came time, you know, Stephanie and I met and I found the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet and she didn't even have on 10 pounds of makeup. We fell in love. We got engaged and we got married. And it came time where every day I have to choose to self-sacrifice, right? To give up my wants and my needs. Even though I'm the one in authority over my home, I sacrifice myself to show her how much I love her. And she puts up with me. She honors me. She respects me. She yields to the direction I think God is moving in our relationship and in our lives. Maybe at that point where some of you find yourselves, you need to choose every day to respect your husband or to sacrifice yourself for your wife. Or maybe you've gone on, you've passed the point Stephanie and I are are at in our lives and and our relationships, and you've been married not just for a year or two or even ten, you've been married ten, you've been married twenty, thirty, forty years. You've got kids, and man, those kids have tested your patience And many times they've caused you to kind of move apart from each other. Look, maybe you just need to leave the teenagers at home one weekend. And hopefully they won't burn the house down. Say a prayer for them before you leave. And go take your wife out for a couple of days and spend time getting to know the one that you fell in love with years ago. Maybe you're here this morning and you're even past that point. You're to the point where there's no kids left at home anymore. You're kind of that empty nest syndrome, right? 
And all of a sudden, your schedules are cleared up because you don't have every single ball game to go to in the world. And you don't have this to do and that to do with your kids. Man, maybe it's time to go on dates again. To talk to each other. To reinvest in the relationship that you committed to years ago. Maybe you are even past that point. Maybe you're to the point in life when you lived together, you loved each other, you did what God wanted you to do. Maybe not all the time. You made some mistakes because nobody's perfect. But you've got a husband or a wife that you loved and cherished for years. And they've gone on to be at home with the Lord in heaven. There's a word for you here too in 1 Peter chapter 3. You know what it's like to live in that type of relationship and in that type of home. Maybe you need to share that blessing with others around you. Maybe instead of sitting at home by yourself on a Friday night, ladies, maybe you need to look around at some of the younger folks in our church or maybe even our community that don't go to church and say, hey, let me watch your kids Friday night. Y'all go out to Jonesboro, three or four hours, have a good time. Just make sure you come back to pick up your kids, but go have a good time, right? And maybe while those kids are gathered with you in your living room, you can talk to them and you can pray with them for their spouses one day. Maybe you can't do that. You can't, just, you can't watch all those kids. But maybe you need to call a guy in this congregation, men, and say, hey, I need you to know something. I never had really a, a guy in my life that I could talk to if I was having troubles in, in marriage. But I want you to know, if you ever need anything, you can talk to me. I'm not an expert, but brother, I've been there. I'm a few more miles down the road than you are. And I want to help you any way I can. And maybe you just need to pray for him over the phone. Maybe you need to give him a gift card so he can take his wife out on a date one night. Or maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't find yourself in, in any of those situations. Maybe you're not married because your, your marriage ended in a divorce. Or maybe you're not married because you just, you never felt like you needed to go that direction in life. God loves you. He has a special plan for your life that's unique and different from anybody else. He loves you so much that he's given you the opportunity to invest in your children as a single parent, to teach them things that they won't learn from anybody else but you. And you need to love them and pray with them for the future spouse that they'll one day have. You need to talk to them about reality as they grow up and work through some very difficult things. Maybe you just never really did find the right one and, and you don't have any kids of your own. But that shouldn't stop you from honoring and cherishing the marriage union, the relationship that other people experience around you. Perhaps you need to become the great prayer warrior for all of these other couples whose marriages are on the rocks or falling apart or for people who are going through great difficulty. Listen. We need more than anything prayer warriors. Folks who will lift up husbands and lift up wives to the Lord and say, God, would you work in his heart or her heart? God, would you save him? She's been a believer for years, but he's never come to church and darkened the doorway. Would you work in his heart to save him? Would you help her to submit to his authority? You'll be able to tell God things in your prayers that they don't want to say to God because they're in the middle of turmoil and they don't want to have to experience it. You'll be able to pray prayers for them that will have an impact and an influence 
on marriages all throughout the generations to come. But most of all, in these directions to husbands and wives about marriage, Peter wanted every single one of these people to know God's love through his son, Christ Jesus. In fact, before he ever gave these instructions to husbands and wives, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he said, And Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Marriage is the greatest relationship that two people can have with each other, but it is not the greatest relationship. The greatest relationship that exists is between an individual and the Lord who created them. Marriage reflects God's love for his people. It's a representation of Christ's love for his bride, the church. When you look at a married couple, what you ought to see is a picture of a Jesus who sacrifices himself and a people who submit to the authority of God. In marriage, this is what God wants all of us to see, married or unmarried. Single, divorced, widowed, whatever the case. He wants us to see how much he loves us. That he chose, a perfect holy God chose to enter into a covenant union with somebody that he knew had been unfaithful to him already. And would be unfaithful to him in the future. Yet he gave his very life to save you from your sins. And to set you free from all of the garbage the spiritual infidelity, the idolatry, and even, yes, the spiritual adultery that you committed in your life. God loves you, and he wants you to know that, and he wants you to experience his love in Christ Jesus. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? A song played. And as the song is played, I just want to invite you to respond to God, however he's spoken to your heart this morning. Maybe you need to grab your wife and say, honey, I'm sorry. And you need to tell her exactly what you're sorry for and ask for her forgiveness. Wives, maybe you have a husband who's not here with you today and you just need to sit back down and pray for him that God would work in his heart and his life. Maybe you need to go as an older person who's been there before and, and been married and experienced these places in life and go and find a younger couple in this congregation and say, hey, I know this is going to be weird, but can I pray for you? I love you and I want you to know that and I want you to know God has a plan for your marriage. Maybe you're younger, or maybe, maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you just need to come and kneel at the steps of this altar and say, God, would you help me be the man or the woman I need to be for my future spouse? God, would you keep me pure? God, would you forgive me for areas where I failed? And would you help me to walk in holiness from this day forward? Maybe you need to pray for your children, your grandchildren, the future spouses that they'll have. Maybe you need to find another couple in this room. And you just need to go over to them and pray with them and pray for each other. That God would strengthen your marriages. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to speak with me. As God calls you this morning, would you come to him?
States. Comes a day, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you display your love through the picture of marriage. May husbands and wives in this congregation be faithful to love their spouses as you'd have them to. And God, may we all see in the picture of marriage the great love that you have for us. 
We thank you for your son Jesus, the one who gave himself on the cross for our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to be dismissed with uh, verse 1 in the chorus of You're My All in All. You're my strength. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus. dismissed. We'll see you tonight.